watches. Welcome to the 11th Annual Watchers in the Fourth Dimension Season Roundup with special guest Richard Nixon, Jenny Laird and her one-woman show, and musical guest Paul Anka. And of course, the Watchers themselves, Anthony, Julie, Riley, and Don. And now your host, Anthony. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This episode, we're going to be looking back at the entirety of Season 11 with our usual combination of award-style categories, quantitative measures, and questions from our followers from various social media platforms. But before we look into that, I'm going to take a quick look at the mail. We've had rather a lot of feedback relating to our episode on Death to the Daleks. If you listen back in that episode, Don posed the almighty question of, is Terry Nation taking the piss? Well, we had a couple of responses to that particular question, and we'll start with J.M. Casey, who says, I don't know whether Terry was taking the piss or not, but surely at least someone was. It's like the chase all over again. For sure, I prefer it when the Daleks at least seem to be a credible threat, but I can't help but enjoy this silly serial. Was it Robert Holmes who told the composer to give the Daleks a jaunty clarinet theme? Beardo Beatnik also opined on this, stating, Not only is Terry Nation taking the piss, but he's taking it in all our faces. <laughs> wow. Beardo, some places you have to pay good money for that. Oh no. Before we move on, Beardo also says the problem you kids have with this episode is you watched it in one sitting. You're supposed to put it on while doing chores. Seven out of ten palpable hits. Thanks, Beardo. <laughs> Moving on from piss-taking, we had a couple of comments, unsurprisingly, on the music. Instabrabin says, Love this story, even that bizarre soundtrack, my first Doctor Who VHS tape. Cool. Nice. Chat Grande 67 says, Really like this story. Daleks not taking over the universe for once. Great music too. Saw this when it first came on and loved the idea of the Daleks having their own creepy tune. And then last on this particular topic, Philip Cully asks, why is it that Death to the Daleks always makes me think of that one piece of music from it? Well, Philip, I suspect <laughs> we'll be talking about that piece of music later this episode. <laughs> There's some more general feedback on the story, and we'll start with Kieran James Evans, who says, Yeah, the Daleks feel out of place in much of this one. That first half of part one feels like the oddness you get with the first episode of the Space Museum. And like that serial, the rest of the story is a bit of a letdown. I'd hover it around a 6 out of 10. I hadn't noticed the insignia being the same as the Terran Federation from Blake 7. Are we watching the good timeline, or is it about to turn evil? I don't know. I don't know, Kieran. Maybe. <laughs> Mark Dunstan, who has the top fan badge on our Facebook page. Oh. Ooh. Nice one, Mark. Impressive. Says, the most memorable thing for me when I watched it was Belal. He looked good when I was young. I think Pertwee was a little tired of being the Doctor at this point. On a similar note, Nathan Laws also comments on Pertwee's apparent lack of interest in this one, stating, I think part of Pertwee's lack of engagement may have also been that he was on the record as saying that he didn't particularly care for the Daleks. He didn't really think that they were a credible threat. The sad thing is that he never got a story with the Cybermen, which I think he would have liked far more. Nathan also talks a little about the running of the Exelon City and our theory about if you beat the tests, you get to take over running it. I don't think that if you pass the test, you take over operating the city. After all, the antibodies formed immediately and didn't wait to see if they'd sit down at the controls and take over. I think if the caretaker had been alive, maybe he was supposed to designate if someone qualified, 
but I don't think the Doctor or Bilal ever had the opportunity to take over. Okay, fair enough. It's not something I'm like passionate about enough to argue over, so we'll let you have that one, Nathan. <laughs> As we've reached the end of the season, David Campbell asked us whether we're going to cover the two part we led BBC radio productions from the 1990s, The Ghosts of Endspace and The Paradise of Death as they're both set during season 11. We don't have any plans to do them right now, we've got a big finish bonus episode next time, but we might revisit those when we get to the wilderness years. We'll see you in a few years' time for that. Was that the question that was basically, these are terrible, you should listen to them? Yes. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah. Last but not least, in some more general feedback on the character of Sarah Jane Smith, our good friend Keith Burton says... It's remarkable how quickly Elizabeth Sladen wins you over. You don't forget the three years of adventures with Katie Manning, but the rapport between Pertwee and Sladen is obvious. Whereas Joe as a character was treated protectively like a beloved granddaughter, the third Doctor seems to treat Sarah like a trusted old daughter. He seems immediately aware of her independence and capabilities. This obviously continues with the fourth Doctor when the actor playing the Doctor is suddenly 15 years younger than his three predecessors. Sarah then becomes the first lone female companion to be an equal of the Doctor and not a student or understudy. Elizabeth Sladen was a very clever actor who seems to have immediately understood the role of the companion character. To be scared, but brave. Nobody has ever done it better. Cool, we're looking forward to seeing more of her as we get through the next few seasons. That's the end of our mail. As a reminder, we love to hear from you all, and as you've heard, we do like to read out as many of your questions and comments as possible. So please do get in touch. You can send us an email at watches4d at gmail.com or connect with us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at watches4d. With that, we move into our main feature, our Season 11 Retrospective. We start, as usual, with our award-style categories. Our first category is Best and Worst Stories, and the nominations are The Time Warrior, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Death to the Daleks, The Monster of Peladon, and Planet of the Spiders. Riley, over to you. I won't be surprised anybody with this. My best story pick is clearly Invasion of the Dinosaurs. In a season where the three good serials all were fun, but a bit goofy or silly or both, Dinos was the most fun of them all. Also very clear to me is the worst story, and that would be <laughs> Planet of the Spiders. It is a complete jumbled mess. If they didn't move the action to Metabilis 3 in the last couple episodes, the serial would be aiming for like a 2.5 or a 3 rating for me. And if anyone gets upset of how harsh I am on Pertwee's last serial, just remember that, as we like to say here, our rating system, everything is made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> nice. Julie, over to you. Surprise, surprise. My favorite is also Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I think if everyone recalls, I gave this one a nine. I loved it. I thought that it was a really good concept. It was directed well, minus a few little CSO things that I'll forgive. What I really enjoyed was the use of the unit crew. It helped emphasize that Benson is the best and Yates is the worst. There's a bit of an agenda there, I feel. <laughs> Just a little bit. My worst story is The Monster of Peladon. I don't really have a lot to say other than it was just really bad and it stays bad and I will never watch it again. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to blame you for that, Julie. All right, Don, what are you thinking here? Obviously, the best story, aside from the special effects, was Invasion of the Dinosaurs for all the reasons that have been previously expressed. The only downside is the dinos. I can overlook that. I liked how it made Yates an almost interesting character. 
<laughs> I liked how it really did present a moral dilemma, which we didn't really get to talk about. I was told to shut up. I think so Julie could get back to her <laughs> bent and erotic fan fiction. The Time Warrior came pretty close. I think it's also mm -hmm. very high quality. My favorite is probably Death to the Daleks, just because it's insane and a complete farce. The worst story is obviously Monster of Peladon. I would watch the entire thing of Planet of the Spiders on a daily basis rather than watch Monster of Peladon again. It's not <laughs> even close. Wow. Let's hope no one holds you to that, Don, because I think Planet <laughs> of the Spiders would get old real quick. For my favorite story, I'm going to buck the trend here and go with the Time Warrior. I was pretty vocal. There's an element of nostalgia there. It's one of the first Doctor Who stories I ever saw, and I think it was a really good one to start off with. Mm -hmm. You've got that classic Holmesian duo of Iron and Blood Axe. Lynx is just fantastic. We get our first adventure for Sarah Jane Smith. The Brigadier appears at the very beginning. It's kind of campy, and it's just a lot of fun. And it's only four parts, so there's not a lot of time to get bored with it. My least favourite story is Planet of the Spiders. It has some good moments, but as I was thinking about it, it was close between the Monster of Peladon, which I actually rated worse, and Planet of the Spiders. What Planet of the Spiders does badly, it does really badly. The Monster <laughs> of Peladon is just like a constant low, whereas Planet of the Spiders is a lot more peaks and troughs. I just can't with it. I'd rather have peaks than to have just bad the entire time. Yeah. Well, each to their own. <laughs> Barry Letts' continued insistence on using terrible CSO, it just kills it for me. That's my choice. Next up, we have best moment and worst moments. There are no actual nominations here. You can choose whatever you want to choose. Anything from this season, Riley, once again, we start with you. Best moment was that wonderful cliffhanger at the end of episode three of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Sarah Jane is snooping around. We've been in London for three episodes dealing with the poorly made dinosaurs. Then after that, we get the reveal of maybe the second or third or fourth co-conspirator. <laughs> and then bang, we get Sarah Jane on a spaceship having left Earth supposedly three months prior. Now granted, none of that is true. <laughs> So it doesn't really have to earn that, but for a show like this, it could have very well been true. To me, I just thought that was really well shot, very exciting, quite a jolt, a good cliffhanger, and I think the best moment was just really well done. Riley, before you jump into worst moment, once you started on that and said that episode three cliffhanger from, I was very worried you were going to say <laughs> death to the Daleks then. <laughs> Which Don may well choose as the best moment, but we'll see when we get that. <laughs> Please continue. The worst moment to me is, without a doubt, that 11-minute chase scene in Planet of the Spiders. But, <laughs> but, but, since I have a feeling that I will not be the only one selecting that, at least I hope I'm not the only one picking it because it deserves all <laughs> of our hate, I wanted to bring up another one just for the sake of variety, and that is I want to pick just Choji. Not a moment, just Choji in general. <laughs> An offensive betrayal and... Not only that, his appearance completely undercuts the regeneration scene. Completely. So, there you go. I didn't say it, but that's another reason I named Planet of the Spiders as my worst serial, was Choji's just really offensive. Anyway, Julie, you're up next. Best moment. It's kind of a two-parter, but it all connects together. You got one, Benton punching out Finch <laughs> in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And then part two, when at the very end, he was still really excited about punching out Finch. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful and i'm sorry i'm playing into my stereotype so hard right now you are but we'll allow it the heart wants what it wants <laughs> at first it was jamie then it was benton if somehow there's going to be another one i'm sorry everybody 
Worst moment. I have a few here, so I have a main one and then some runner-ups. Sorry, everybody. Worst moment. Specifically, when I got five minutes into the chase scene, realizing that it was going to be a very long chase scene. (laughs) The runner-up is, as Anthony alluded to, the cliffhanger in episode three of Death to the Daleks. My second runner-up is the entirety of the Monster of Peladon. <laughs> the reason why I say that is I really enjoyed the first Peladon serial from whichever season it was. Really enjoyed it. So I was very excited for it to come back and I was so let down. Well, the second one is pretty much the same as the first. So why didn't you like <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work like that, Riley. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, Don, let's hear your best moment and worst moment. My best moment is actually the cliffhanger at the end of episode three of Death to the Daleks with the floor. (laughs) I'm not saying that because you stole my thunder earlier. That is my pick. It's insanely stupid and it makes me happy. And on many a bad day at work since then, I will picture that scene and it will bring a smile to my face. Amazing. The other best just tiny little moment is I believe it's in planet of the spiders and it's benton attempting to have a discussion about his coffee because he's just so happy about it and i like that it's just a little character moment and the doctor is also talking to him about it and then the brigadier comes in and stops it yes that's very sad the worst actual scene is probably the enormous chase scene (laughs) once it got past a certain point it was like a family guy sketch it just got funny because I'm expecting them to hop on the three wheelers from Day of the Daleks that just keep on going with every vehicle ever. Oh, my God. I'm having trouble with this one. So let's just go with all of Monster Ability. I think yes. both of those are very, very valid choices, Don. Don, I feel like all of my worsts were your answers. Yeah, yeah. All right. And that brings it to me for my best moment. I'm going to go with the melting of the Exelon City because mm. that looked cool as hell the marshmallows yeah Mm. that was some great effects work and then you had that ethereal wailing Mm -hmm. in the soundscape and i just thought that was so incredibly effective i absolutely loved that my worst moment i'm just gonna go with what everyone else is thinking the 12 minute chase sequence from planet of the (laughs) spiders it's gratuitous it's unnecessary holy shit it's just too damn long Next up, we have Best Lead Actor, and we actually have three nominations, and I'll explain why we have three. My criteria here was to qualify, you had to appear in more than half of the season, i.e. in three or more serials. That gives us the options of John Pertwee as the Doctor, Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith, or Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, since he was in The Time Warrior, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and Planet of the Spiders. Riley, we'll start with you again. Best lead actor. Okay, I was going to go with Pertwee. I thought he had really done a great job of nailing down the change in the Doctor that we've seen over the course of the last couple seasons. His warmth and charisma really showed through and it felt natural. But then I think about the chase scene (laughs) and how it was put in particularly because it was a gift to him. So screw that. I'm going with Elizabeth (laughs) Slayton. She really fit in perfectly and effortlessly with the show right from the start, and she shows a real range. This isn't just a companion showing fear, but her comic beats are great, and her character shows a great amount of determination as well. So I'm going with Sladen. All right, let's see how many of us pick Sladen. Julie, (laughs) you're up next. I am also picking Elizabeth Sladen. 
I think she's so far one of the best introductions of a companion. And mainly that is she is not immediately a damsel in distress. And she's super smart and she wants to get things done. So I love that. I have a quick runner up, but it's only because it is only when Nicholas Courtney and his reaction in Planet of the Spiders when he says, well, here we go again. (laughs) That earns him his runner up spot when the doctor (laughs) regenerates. Nice. All right. And next up, Don. See, I was going to go with John Bertwee, and now I'm I'm not sure about my choice, especially <laughs> with Julie reminding me of how awesome Nicholas Courtney is at doing little lines nice. and yes. reactions, like here we go again, or when they're watching the exotic dancer at the beginning <laughs> of Planet of the Spiders. He can uh, take what is essentially a small role and make it memorable. Screw your chase yes. scene, Bertwee. We're going to go with Nicholas Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> Join us, Anthony. Join us. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go with Elizabeth Sladen as well. Don, you're kind of the odd one out in picking Courtney as your primary choice. I expected to be. It's fine. She just came in and absolutely nailed the part from the very beginning to the point where knowing that someone else had initially been cast as Sarah Jane Smith, I can't imagine anyone else playing the part. She is so good. She has instant chemistry with everyone. You look at the way she works with Pertwee or with Richard Franklin or John Levine or Nicholas Courtney. She just walks in and basically owns the entire production. And she's just great. I'm really glad we have her. She's my pick. Sorry, John Pertwee. You've been chosen before. You're not getting chosen this time. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Exactly. (laughs) Next up, we have... Best and Worst Supporting Actor. And again, we don't have a shortlist for this, so it can be anyone who's appeared over the course of the season. Riley, over to you. Best Supporting Actor for me is John Durth as Lupton in Plane of the Spiders. This guy put in a great performance under the absolute worst circumstances. He had to act his heart out alone to a room of plastic spiders. He had to (laughs) proclaim that his ridiculous revenge scheme was to go to a meditation retreat to attain power. And worst of all, he had to deal with Pertwee's indulgence. Yes, I'm talking about the chase scene again. (laughs) And I know it's the third time I've brought it up, but I cannot promise it'll be the last time I bring it up. (sighs) And my pick for worst supporting actor. This is tough because honestly, I could not find anyone that I had a tough time with, but there's only one person that I remember being kind of off and I'm going to go with Terrence Wilson as Mark from Invasion of the Dinosaurs. He wasn't terrible at all, but he just seemed really stiff. And I don't know if that was necessarily his acting or do they ask him to act in that way to be kind of creepy. That's my pick. All right, Julie, what are you thinking here? This is probably one of the most difficult choices I've had to make for most of our retrospectives. There were three people that I liked and trying to pick them was difficult. I'm actually going to switch one up as I look at it. My top pick is going to be Donald Pelmier as Professor Rubish. Mm. As I remember and as I recall, I said that I loved him so much. I wish he was the companion and that he just had so much to do in that first serial. My runners-up were John Kane as Tommy in Planet of the Spiders. I loved him. Obviously, everyone knows I adore him. Another one was Arnold Yarrow as Bilal. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I just couldn't pick. There are some really good choices there. Worst, I mentioned it while we went through that serial, and it is Jenny Laird as Nesca in Planet <laughs> of the Spiders. She completely phoned it in. No emotions when she's yelling after her captured husband. I did not believe her one bit. Maybe it was cheaper than a divorce. You don't know. (laughs) 
Nice. Okay, Don, you're up next. My best supporting actor had a two-way tie. Probably would have been a three-way tie if I had not forgotten about Rubish. Kind of sad at myself for that. My first pick was John Kane as Tommy in Invasion of the Spiders because he was very convincing. He was very good at playing a stupid person who, I mean, might have written the chase scene for all we know. There you go, Riley. That was for you. And then doing a (laughs) gradual change. Very impressive acting. And this is going to come as a shock to some of you. I know it's a shock to me, but Richard Franklin for actually making me care about Yates and his (laughs) poor mental health. I was shocked, but he did an amazing job, and I'm just glad I could see it. Worst supporting actor was Jenny Laird as Nesca the Unconvincing. Because, I mean, they're paying you. You could try a little bit, right? (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy. Well... I'm going to take these in reverse order because I have to join in with Jenny Laird as Nesca. I don't think we've ever had anyone else in the show so far quite as wooden as she was in that part. Maybe some of the soldiers who will point off in the distance and warn about something? (laughs) No, not even they've been that bad. They're soldiers. They can sound wooden because maybe it's just how they are as soldiers. It was her (laughs) husband. I know. (laughs) No, wait, don't take him. You can't, you can't, you can't. (laughs) Even I gave that more emotion than she did. Yeah, you did. For best supporting actor, I am going with Kevin Lindsay, not as Choji, but as Lynx in The Time Warrior. Because I thought Lynx is just spectacular. The way he gives him so much menace. The whole reason we have the Sontarans and why they've been lasting is because of how good he was in The Time Warrior. And even down to the little things, the things he does with his tongue, the way he sticks it out and it's creepy, but it gives Lynx so much personality. And I think he just really, really brings it to that story. That's who I'm going with. Next up, we have Best Villain and Worst Villain. This is where we have a shortlist again. Our options here are Lynx and or Iron Gron and Bloodaxe in The Time Warrior. We have three options for Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and that's Sir Charles Grover or General Finch or Professor Whitaker or any combination therein and thereof. We have the Daleks in Death to the Daleks, Eckersley and or the Ice Warriors in The Monster of Peladon, and then the Great One and the Eight Legs in Planet of the Spiders. You're up first, Riley. Best villain, without a doubt, is Eckersley. He was just so cool, calm, and calculating, until he wasn't at the very, very end. But let's forget that. Up until then, he was wonderful. If any villain on the show so far deserved that classic escaping punishment to scheme another day kind of ending, it was him. Worst villain is the great one. We like to speak about how Omega was over the top, but I don't know (laughs) if anything will outdo the great one's death scene. It was something else. Also, you kind of take away the creepiness factors of spiders when you make them humongous. At that point, they're just another giant monster. They're not small and insidious and get into little places. All right, Julie. You kind of stole my thunder, Anthony, because the best villain is Lynx. The reasons are there. He's a no-nonsense. He's actually competent in what he is doing. It's a very, very good opening for a recurring villain. And again, sets up the Centaurans very, very well. So I really enjoyed him. Therefore, the worst villains are Iron Gron and Blood Axe. Because <laughs> you have them in the same serial and it was too far. Too much of a farce. Too much bad comedy duo. Bad punchlines. Are you chicken-hearted knaves? Okay, come on. I had to go with just that juxtaposition in the same serial. 
with my love of that cereal, I am so disappointed in you, Julie. I think Iron Cron and Blood Axe are genuinely wonderful, but hey, each to their own. I think they are enjoyable, but I don't think that they are good villains. Ah, uh, that's a good distinction to make. Don? For me, the best villain, and I guess we're just going to jump on the train here, is Lynx. <laughs> because he wasn't necessarily a villain. He was just a major asshole about everything he wanted to do. His goal was to fix his ship. And just about every other quote-unquote evil thing he did was because he was bored. He didn't care about taking over the planet. He wasn't about, oh, I'll get rich and rule the universe. He was like, nah, I just want to go home and you guys are fun to watch. And that was about it. My worst villain, I was almost right in line with Julie <laughs> with the two idiots, but I've decided to almost say something against what is not the best serial, but my favorite serial, which is the Daleks and Death to the Daleks. <laughs> They didn't need to be playing villains. They needed to be, you know, getting some therapy, taking some <laughs> self-care. They weren't ready even for this tiny mission that they had been assigned. And it was, yeah, as far as bad guys go, it didn't really work. Yeah, that is fair. And I think we'll get a few questions about that later on. Which brings it to my choices. For best villain, I'm going to nominate Eckersley in most of the Monster of Peladon. <laughs> the worst villain, I'm also going to nominate Eckersley in the latter part of The Monster of Peladon. <laughs> he is fantastic when he is so calm, collected, scheming, keeping it all under the radar. He is great. And then as time goes on and he starts to spiral and go basically berserk towards the end, he just loses it. I don't think this is the first time we've had the same character nominated in one category, but so far it's the first time this season. Our next category is one of my personal favourites, the Best Director and the Richard Martin Award for Worst Director, also known as The Dickie. The nominations are Alan Bromley for The Time Warrior, Paddy Russell for Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Michael Bryant for Death to the Daleks, Lenny Main for The Monster of Peladon, and Barry Letts for Planet of the Spiders. Riley, we start with you. This was the easiest choice for me in all of the awards, <laughs> and that's Patty Russell for Dinos. That was stunning. Absolutely great. Despite working with shoddy, shoddy dinos, still fantastic. And I often think about that scene, even though it wasn't a good prop, but that fight scene with the pterodactyl was so well done. I just was really blown away and it was very impressive. It's a direction of a serial that stood out to me more so than any that had done in a very long time. The Dickie, don't hate me, Anthony. I'm going with Alan Bromley for The Time Warrior. Now, I liked this serial. I did, but there were some very odd choices in regards to their shots. There was the terrible blocking in the scene where Sarah Jane goes into the TARDIS for the first time. There was that Three Stooges bit with the guards, which was shoehorned in and looked terrible. There was that shot looking down the courtyard from a far distance for that fight scene slash chasing that looked really awkward. And the attack on the castle walls was no hope at all on hiding what little money they had to shoot this. I liked the serial, but I feel like it could have been so much better if there were better directorial choices. I'm done with you professionally. <laughs> <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> it's been fun, everyone. Okay, Julie, over to you. This was a difficult choice for me. I ended up saying that the best was Michael Bryant for Death to the Daleks. And it's strictly from a directorial perspective. 
because I think overall he had a better handle on everything, including CSO. My runner-up is Patty Russell. She did the best that she could with everything that she had, but she was a little wonky on the CSO. That's the only point down from her. It was a very close for those two. The worst for me, hands down, Barry Letts. I don't know that it's quite worth a dicky, maybe partial dicky. I don't know. A semi-dicky? <laughs> semi-dicky. He had some wonky CSO, especially when they get to Metabellus 3. Bad special effects with the spiders, not very convincing. And let's talk about that chase scene. He could have done some <laughs> better things with that. Like not shoot it. <laughs> Given that he was one of the writers of the story and he specifically gave that scene to John Pertwee as a thank you. Okay, then the, then it's a true dicky. <laughs> Full on dicky. Full on. <laughs> dicky. So Julie gave her dicky to Barry Letts. Nice. <laughs> done. I'm going to have to go with Patty Russell. For invasion of the dinosaurs once again the only bad aspect was the dinosaurs themselves and that's not her fault everything was well shot atmospheric especially that first episode really good stuff but coming up almost to her equal was michael bryant mm -hmm. for death to the daleks hmm. and just a few of those things are some really interesting shot choices that was very creepy it still doesn't quite explain why as soon as sarah jane went back to the tardis the doctor ran off maybe frame that a little differently so he looks like less of a dick <laughs> but everything really well done really enjoyed that so those pretty close in my book the worst director i'm gonna have to give the dicky to barry letts for planet of the spiders i enjoyed this serial apparently a lot more than the rest of my podcast mates but there's just so much stuff that could have been tightened up he didn't seem to manage his time properly. You know, this is your doctor's last hurrah, and yet you're cutting stuff from the end of one thing to put at the beginning of the other. Your cliffhangers <laughs> aren't making sense. You've got this incredibly long chase scene that I think would be a lot better if it had an exciting ending. But no, he just teleports away. So the whole thing feels like a colossal waste of time. Barry Letts gets the dicky. I'm once again going to go in reverse order and give the dicky first, and it's hard to disagree with Barry Letts. There's the 12-minute chase scene, there's the terrible CSO, there's allowing Jenny Led to put in that performance. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, Barry. <laughs> it's just a shoddy job. I feel like it was a little bit of an ego trip for him to be able to direct a story that he also wrote, and for it to basically be the last hurrah of the Pertwee era, the era he crafted. I just don't think he did it justice. For my best director, I'm going to join Julie and give it to Michael Bryant, although I do recognise Paddy Russell did a great job given that she was lumbered with those kind of shoddy looking dinosaurs. But Michael Bryant just did a lot of interesting stuff. You look at the way he shot things, he shot a lot of things from above. He did the old trick with adding smoke into the quarry to make it seem a bit more alien. The wonderful atmosphere of the sacrifice scene. I think he just did the best anyone could possibly do with a Terry Nation script. <laughs> In the hands of Richard Martin, that script would have been fucking terrible on screen. <laughs> Last but not least, we will do best and worst use of music. And again, there are no specific nominations here. Riley, over to you. Best use of music. I only had one note this season about music that I enjoyed. And that was in episode three of The Monster of Peladon. I can't remember it all, but apparently I really did enjoy that little bit after the Doctor was captured by Lord Ortron. I don't know why. I, it just struck me in the moment. 
And if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't even whistle one bar. But <laughs> in the moment, it was quite good. As no surprise, worse use of music, we've hinted at it. Not since The Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon <laughs> has there been a piece of music on this television program. This is worse use of music, Riley. You're getting confused. <laughs> Not at all. Never since The Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon has, have I found a piece of music so irritating <laughs> and annoying as the theme given to the Daleks and Death to the Daleks. The only thing worse than its quality was its frequency. Yep, yep. Gonna be interesting how many of us agree with you on that, Riley. Julie, over to you. My favorite use of music is actually in the first episode of Invasion of the Dinosaurs, where we get that shot of London and it looks like a ghost town and there's that bare minimum use of percussion that kind of just gives you that really eerie, deserted feel. I thought that was really, really well done. You don't have to have a lot of music to actually make it impactful. So that is my favorite. And yes, the worst is obviously the Dalek theme in Death to the Daleks. All right, done. You know, I had sat here and I had finally come up with something for best use of music. And it was that episode of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Now I'm like, well, now I'm just going to think I'm ripping off Julie, which for once I'm not in this category. <laughs> but for all the reasons she said, plus I want to say this. I was fairly impressed during this season because Dutters really reined mm -hmm. it back. Yes. Yeah. And oh. there wasn't a lot of overwhelming synth. Most places I felt the music actually worked. And that's actually interesting Basically, what you're hinting at is he went back to more symphonic roots, didn't go over the top, and the music fits so well that sometimes you can't find something great because it just works. Hmm. Yes, the music was used well. It wasn't drawing attention to itself. It was enhancing what was on the screen. And as far as worst use of music, yes, it's the haunting Dalek love theme from <laughs> Death to the Daleks. So inappropriate. Almost funny, like I said, is someone taking the piss because it just turns it comedic. It really undercut a lot of the atmosphere that Michael Bryant had set up visually. We need to add lyrics to it. We need to write our own lyrics. <laughs> I'm not doing it. We should. It'll just be like exterminate and words like that. I refuse. Yes. Sung by a soprano female. I'm not doing it. That brings it to me. Both of my nominations here are from the same story. My worst use of music, like everyone else, is that Dalek motif in Death to the Daleks. I strongly believe that the best use of music is that wonderful atmospheric chanting Ooh. during the sacrifice scene in Death to the Daleks. Fair. We talked when we did that story. Everything is great up until the Daleks show up with the music. It's atmospheric. All of those whooshing kind of minimalist sounds as we're on Exelon. And then the Daleks show up and we get that dratted theme. But that sacrificial chanting for me was such a highlight and really made that scene and gave it so much menace. I just love that. Next up, we're going to move into a quick recap of our quantitative measures. We'll start off the Pertwee gun count. That only increased by three this season, which is actually more than the last two seasons combined. He was pretty gun heavy in his first two seasons and then tapered off a bit. But we had <laughs> guns in the Time Warrior, Deaths of the Daleks, and the Monster Peladon. For three guns in the season, that gives us a total series count of 17 Pertwee guns. For the camp count, we had 14.5 over the course of the season. A significant amount of that was driven by the one and only Alpha Centauri. <laughs> Added to previous, we now have a total series count to date of 122. Doing pretty well there. 
We had zero instances of I'll explain later. We had one instance of query query in death to the Daleks, which brings us to a total series count of 18. And we had zero instances of Jelly Babies. Looking back at our actual scores for the season, if you average all of our individual scores out, our best was Invasion of the Dinosaurs, 8.13. Our worst was the Monster of Peladon with a 4. <laughs> in between Time Warrior, 7.88, Death to the Daleks, 6.63, and Planet of the Spiders, 5.5. If we look at individual, my best was the Time Warrior, I gave that a 9. My worst was the Monster of Peladon at a 3. My season average was 6.2. Don, your best. The Time Warrior with 8, your worst, the Monster of Peladon with 2.5, your average, 6.4. Julie, your top one, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, 9, your worst, Monster of Peladon, your season average was 6.3. And then last but not least, Riley, your best, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, 8.5, your worst, Planet of the Spiders with a 5, your average was 6.8, so you had the most favourable opinion of this season out of a lot of us. But of course, these don't really count. They're totally arbitrary, spur of the moment, how we're feeling about it at the time. Please don't get mad at us. That brings us to our questions from social media. We had about nine or ten of these. Some of them do have similar themes, so we'll try and consolidate a couple of them. We'll start with one from our good friend Adam Wright, who asks, What was your favourite element on closing out Pertwee's final season? Revisiting Peladon? Revisiting Metabilis 3? Or closure for Yates and the main unit team? I will say we do get a bit more of the unit team before we leave them. So really closure for Yates. I'm actually going to go with the closure for Yates on this one. <clears throat> I know I am known for disliking Yates, but they actually made me care. I thought that this was an actual good redemption story. And for once I was like, okay, I'm going to let him do this one time. And I'm good with Yates. I still don't love him, but I do think that he did a very good job in that serial. Yeah, and I think I agree with you, Julie. He's one of the few characters that has a genuine story arc between the Green Death and Planet of the Spiders. The impact of Boss at the end of Season 10 led to his actions mm -hmm. in Invasion mm -hmm. of the Dinosaurs, which then leads to him leaving Unit and having his redemption in Planet of the Spiders. And I think it really, really works. I think revisiting Peladon was a massive mistake. I think revisiting Metabilis 3, we were barely there in the Green Death. It's a returning element, but it wasn't a big thing before, where it's a big thing here. I think Closure for Yates is the one that makes the most sense. And Metabilis 3 originally was used just as kind of a gag for one serial. It wasn't built up as something like, oh, we need to go back there or something really important happened there. So it, to me, it's definitely Closure for Yates because revisiting Peladon, like I said, just Peladon. <laughs> <laughs> Don, anything to add? Well, it obviously wasn't revisiting Peladon. <laughs> Metabilis 3 was a lot funnier when we first saw it, and we're not completely rid of unit, but I've said it multiple times. I liked that they gave Yates an arc. They made him an actual character, and that was really wonderful to see. Yeah, agreed. Next up, we have a couple of questions around Joe and Sarah. Seamus68 and Kieran James Evans both asked something similar, and then JM Casey has something slightly different. So we'll take Seamus and, and Kieran first, where they ask us, who do you prefer, Sarah or Joe? Or who do you think was a better fit for the third Doctor? I'm going to answer about the better fit. I think Joe, for the time that she joined the third Doctor, was a better fit for the third Doctor. I think Sarah is better as a companion from the get-go. But as you all recall, the third Doctor was a dick at the beginning of his run. 
And he needed someone like Joe, who had all this empathy and kindness to mellow him out to be a doctor that we could like. If Sarah Jane had met season seven or eight third doctor, she would have wanted absolutely nothing to do with him. For the third doctor, especially if you're joining from the beginning, Joe was better. I think that's a really good point, especially for us now. I love Sarah Jane, but I've spent more time with Joe. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing how her character grows and changes. Whereas right now, Joe's story is told. Mm -hmm. It's a bit different. I mean, this would be a very different question once Sarah Jane leaves as a companion. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off of Don on this one. Right now, I like Joe. I like Joe's kind-hearted innocence and pureness of spirit. That's a quality you don't see often. But that's because I haven't seen as much of Sarah Jane as I have of her. So that could obviously change. Going back to like, who is a better fit for the third doctor? I don't think that's a question that could be answered because I think Julie hit on this. Each of them basically had a completely different doctor. I mean, they may have been the third doctor, but they, each of them had almost a different version of him. So it's not even like they had the same one to be compared to. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think it is very, very difficult to draw a comparison between them. They meet the doctor at very different times. It's very hard to see Sarah meshing with season eight Pertwee. But I also think it's pretty hard to imagine season eight Joe meshing with season 11 Pertwee. Hmm. I think they were the right companion at the right time, both of them. And I realize that's a bit of a cop out of an answer. <laughs> to me, that just seems to make more sense. We did actually have a number of questions come in, which I'm deferring to a future one around whether we thought that Sarah was a better companion for three or for the fourth Doctor. And since we haven't really done mm. any fourth Doctor, I mean, Riley and I, and I suspect Don have seen them in the past, but Julie, knowing you haven't, we'll come back to that. And I think that will be an interesting comparison. J.M. Casey, and I kind of touched on this in my answer, asks, how does everyone think things might have been different if Joe had stayed on for the final season versus Sarah? Certain things would have to have been rewritten. Because it wouldn't work if it had been Joe, obviously. A part of me feels like, yeah, it would have been nice for the companion and the Doctor to go out together. But a little bit of that seems frustrating because when you think of Doctor Who, it's all about change. And the companion doesn't have to go at the same time as the Doctor. I think that's unnecessary. So it's nice to have that continuity. I think it would have been different. You would have had things rewritten. Joe would have had more empathy, all that kind of thing I touched upon. But I probably wouldn't have preferred it. I agree with that completely, except I think it would have been very interesting to see Joe's reaction to the regeneration. Mm. Hmm. I think it would have been better for the show if Joe had stayed for the final season. I say this because you get a better opportunity to explore the arc of the softening of the Doctor's character by having the person there who had witnessed that change from a very early stage. I would still like to keep her farewell from the Green Death, so what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I've been planning this. You get rid of the monster of Peladon, replace it with the Green Death, have her dramatic farewell in the penultimate serial of the season, have her then send the package that starts off the story of the Planet of the Spiders. Then you completely rewrite the Planet of the Spiders into a completely different story <laughs> that is actually good, and then have Joe come back in the last two episodes of the serial for the Doctor's Regeneration. Bang. Easy. There you go. Wow, that was some big thoughts on that, Riley. <laughs> I see Julie's point. You would have to do some structural rewriting, a big plot point in the Time Warrior, for example, where Sarah doesn't yet trust the Doctor. And that's partly why they're at odds for the first couple of episodes. You'd have to completely change that. Obviously, you need someone to send the crystal back to the Doctor in Planet of the Spiders. So I think a lot would change. The idea of Joe meeting Tommy fills me with joy, though. Mm. I would have loved to have seen that. Obviously, Katie Manning wanted to leave and we're dealing with an alternate history here where she didn't. 
I think that the way it was written and the way it ended up worked just fine. And I'm really glad Sarah was in this. Sticking with questions about Sarah, we had quite a lot. Obviously, she's an absolutely iconic character. David Campbell asks us, If the Master is the show's Moriarty figure, then Sarah could have been the Doctor's Watson, writing about the Doctor's exploits for a stunned and amazed public. The only problem with that idea is that Sarah wouldn't actually have been allowed by the government to publish any of her journalistic exclusives involving Unit or her dinosaur photos. It would have all been embargoed under government denotices. And side note here, a denotice is something the UK government can issue against publications to basically prevent them from publishing because it's top secret. What exactly did Sarah manage to write about during this season to keep her editor happy? Okay, I've got this, guys. There's two options here. Under the first, her stories are edited so heavily that Invasion of the Dinosaurs becomes about someone's pet iguana escapes. Or number two, <laughs> and this is my favorite, she's actually publishing stories about them, but it's in whatever the British equivalent of the Weekly World News is. Mm, there you so go. they're just thought to be complete BS. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Daily Sport. <laughs> Man sells house because he thought that the world was in it and it was going to go off into a spaceship. Yeah, exactly. I had a different kind of response and it was because of the stereotypes of that era, since she was stopped from being able to produce any true investigative work, her editors would have said, you know what, you're gonna have to move over to like fashion or like those like feel good stories because you're just not cutting it. And that was the not as funny response. <laughs> I like to think that she did try and publish her dinosaur photos. And that's when she did get slapped with a D notice and then had to go off and write fluff stories about someone's pet dog who can unicycle or something stupid like that. <laughs> she tried, but government said no. Next up, Peter Kane wants to know about some Dalek stories, and he says, There have been a number of Dalek stories where you felt that the Daleks didn't need to be in the story, sometimes going as far as to say the story would actually be better without them. In your opinion, what elements make up a story in which the Daleks deserve to be there? I thought about this a lot, and I think I kind of figured out what it is. In many cases, it feels like it doesn't make sense that they're there. There's no clear gain for the Daleks. When we're first introduced to the Daleks, they're trying to take over a planet or a galaxy or a universe. They're always going to be attacking whoever's weaker than them to gain something. It's a really weak argument in like the death to the Daleks that they're holding a cure for ransom. They wouldn't hold something mm -hmm. for ransom. They would just go out and attack. And really for a Dalek story to work, they need to be attacking somebody for something big. That's my honest opinion of the Daleks. I thought this was an excellent question. And I also gave it a lot of thought because this is a complaint that I've been giving a lot about Dalek serials. I think that every fandom is going to clamor for their favorite characters to come back to their favorite shows or favorite films. But that same fandom will also be the first group to grow tired of these same characters. I think that the Daleks are hugely important to the show. They are what made the show survive in the beginning. So I feel like they need to be protected from this risk of being worn out. My elements of a story that the Daleks deserve to be there, that element is quality. Use them only when you have an absolute stellar story for them. And I know that TV show is a business. When you have an easy button right there that you can smack for easy viewing numbers, it's tempting. But if you want to increase the show's quality, you have to reserve them only for the cream of the crop. Of course, this is me speaking from the mindset of watching the show as a watcher in the fourth dimension. <laughs> I know that ship has sailed, but if I could turn back time, man, I would hold off on using them and just keep them in case in glass, break in case of amazing story. Until then, 
Just save them. Don't ruin them. They're too important. They're not going to provide a valid threat like in Day of the Daleks where your bad guys could have just as easily been the Ogrons and you would have lost nothing. So it's not just being able to tell, okay, what story do they deserve to be in? But if you have a story that's already good, will it really make it any better? Or will it just dilute it and throw in a Dalek? I think the other thing too is in a lot of these instances, there is another threat that is there. So take out that other mm-hmm. threat. If you're going to have the Daleks, it should just be the Daleks. Don't try to pair them up with someone else as a villain. I would say use them sparingly. The problem with saying that is we had a gap of five seasons between The Evil of the Daleks and Day of the Daleks, and you really didn't need them in Day of the Daleks, as Don said. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. I do think they should be used sparingly, but when you bring them back, it has to be for a quality story where they are the big bad and they are featured heavily. You make them a serious threat. Even if their threat is initially seemingly minor, like Evil of the Daleks, at first it's all fun and games with dizzy Daleks, but then it culminates in a big, massive Dalek civil war. Let's have more of that. Let's have less of they're the ones pulling the strings behind the scenes in Day of the Daleks. Didn't work for me. Next up... Paul Arthur, aka Doctor Who 60s, 70s, 80s, over on Instagram, asks, Season 11 gave us the Humobile, and of course the third Doctor also had Bessie. If you were to give the other Doctors a signature vehicle, what would you pick? And given that we're only up to part, we will just do the first two Doctors. I have this. There's two for Hartnell. The funny pick for Hartnell would be a Mini Cooper while trying to fit all of his companions in it, like a clown car. (laughs) And then his classy car would be a Bentley, because why not? Let's have a Bentley. Oh, I like that. I like the Bentley, yes. Do you guys remember those things that you had as a kid? The red plastic little car with the yellow roof? The little Jack's cozy coop? <laughs> yes. That is what Troughton should have. Nice. Well, I went in a completely different direction. For the first Doctor, either had a hover round, if you remember those, or a Segway. <laughs> I can just see him moving around one of those. For the second Doctor, I had a pogo stick. <laughs> Especially if he's still wearing his stovepipe hat. And because I never listen to Antony, for the fourth Doctor, I can see him on a penny-farthing bicycle for some reason. (laughs) Uh, I loved this question. I absolutely loved it. Now, my first answer is pretty cliche. First Doctor would have a Model T, blah, 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 Uh, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm much prouder of my choice for the second Doctor. I can see him wearing his stovepipe hat and driving either the car from the Munsters or the one from the Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) And as you can tell, I know nothing about cars, but I know a lot about television. Nice. See, for Troughton, because he's kind of clownish, I was thinking one of those little mini cars that the Shriners drive. Thought that could be quite fun. Oh, yeah. Or a unicycle. Yeah. Or a unicycle. (laughs) I had actually thought about a penny-farthing bike for Hartnell. Doesn't he even imagine one in the Space Museum? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. On the TV screen. Yeah, when he's trying to fool them as to how he got there. Definitely thinking of Penny Farthing Bike for Hartnell. Okay, (laughs) next up, my old friend Cy Hunt. And I think we kind of answered at least half of this, but we can reassess. And then the second half is new. He says, I'd like to know who the team thought was the best minor or supporting character this year. And also at exactly what point they thought Pertwee decided to throw in the towel and quit. I'd like to clarify that this is slightly different than our awards categories because we do best villain, worst villain, and we do best supporting actor. This is character, not actor. Very true. 
I am still going to go with Eckersley as for best supporting character. I just loved him so much. He's a great villain. As to the point where Pertwee decided to throw in the towel and quit, I did some analysis on this. It was early 74 when it was announced. I'm thinking it was around either Dinos or Death to the Daleks. I'm going to go with it was when the production team refused to let him finish any more scenes by putting his fingers in Sarah Jane's mouth. <laughs> when that happened, I think he was like, all right, I'm done with this show. I'm out of here. Oh, boy. I think my favorite supporting character was Tommy. I loved him as a character. He added value to it. He went from simple mind to learning more to protecting the group as he stood guard outside the door. And I just thought that that character worked really well. When Pertwee decided to throw in the towel, I feel like he didn't phone it in too much in Death to the Daleks. I know that some of it was a farce, but it felt like to me he was still doing what he could. I really think Monster of Peladon was when it really started going downhill. I'm going to mention Rubish because I forgot to earlier. I think he was a really good minor supporting character. Wouldn't have mind seeing more of him. I think the moment he decided to quit was when they wouldn't let him get a monster truck. Wait, wait. Can you imagine Rubish as a companion with, what was it, the cook oh, from yeah. Enemy of the World? Yeah. Oh, the chef? Yeah. Sorry, the chef. Yes. Chef Griffin. Chef Griffin. I'm going to start creating my own like best crew that's not really a best crew. Except Rubish would be good. <laughs> I know you've got Mrs. Hawthorne in there as well, or Miss Hawthorne. Benton has to have somebody, so yes, Miss Hawthorne. For minor or supporting character, I'm going to have to join Julie and go with Tommy. He's just spectacular. I realized for best supporting actor, I named a villain, so I want to give a shout out to an actual supporting character who wasn't a villain, and I 100% think that's Tommy. Although Rubish is very close. But when Pert we threw in the towel, I really think, and I said this when we did Death to the Daleks, I really, really think it was when they're going through the various challenges and they get to the one that's just an empty room. That, to me, looked like the moment where his face just literally <laughs> fell and said, I'm so over this shit. I don't even get to wrestle a bear? What is this? Hartnell would have been allowed a bear, goddammit. <laughs> Saving one of our most regular contributors to last, because she always gives us very, very good questions, the Whovian gal asks, despite this being Pertwee's last season, season 11 rebrands his run a bit with a new companion, new car, and no master. Would you have liked to have seen more of this version of 3's run, or are you ready for a more dramatic change? I'm a bit ready for a more drastic change. So many of the storylines seem to be the same thing. We talked about the Peladon stories being almost identical, just change some characters out. And I think it's less of an issue with Pertwee, but more with the people behind the scenes. So I think if they had different writers coming up with really brand new stories, Pertwee could have kept going, but it was just too much of the same. Yeah, and I think I fundamentally agree with that. I said last episode, by the end of Planet of the Spiders, I'm ready for something new. I think the Terrence Dix and Barry Letts team have kind of run its course by this point. We've had them for basically four and a half seasons, a bit longer for Terrence. And it's just starting to feel a little bit stale. I think the Endless Six-Parters are really grating more than they have in a while for me. I really just want to see someone else's take. I actually would have liked a season 12 with Pertwee but a new production crew. I think that could have been interesting. We could have seen a potentially different take on it. That's obviously not what we get. I think a dramatic change, whether or not it's the lead, is what the show needs at this point. 
Anthony brings up a good point. I think the six parters are one of the greatest enemies the doctor ever faced. <laughs> after John Wiles, right? Yes, after John Wiles, the six parters, because it will take a good idea and just stretch it until it's not entertaining anymore. I think mm -hmm. he could have done another season if they'd shortened stuff up. At this point, I'm ready for a change. I am definitely ready for a dramatic change. And I wonder if, like Anthony said, the show had run its course under the current production team. Is the, in my opinion, truly lackluster ending of the third Doctor a sign of that? If it's something's really good, if it's a good story to tell, the ending should be something that is stunning. It should grab you. But it felt so underwhelming. It felt like it limped to a finish. And if that's not a sign that something needs to be done, I don't know what else is. That has to do with just that Planet of the Spiders was just bad. That might have everything to do with the fact that they're run out of ideas. They need to do something else. That and shoehorning some sort of weird flavor of Buddhism into it instead of just using it as a metaphor. Yeah. And also on top of that, I can't emphasize, and I, I hinted at before about our Joe, Sarah Jane, who should have been in the last season question. I cannot emphasize enough how much of a missed opportunity it was for them to do something with the Doctor's changed character from where the third Doctor began to where he ended and not have that part of his last serial, something that summarizes him from his change because his change is actually a wonderful arc. And the show just ignores it. It's almost like they're ashamed that they made a mistake by writing him that way and they want to sweep it under the rug. Don't do that. That's called growth. Let the character have growth. Show it. Embrace it. Add like you intended to do it. <laughs> that point, Riley, I feel like if Barry Letts was dead set on going for the Buddhism metaphors, the taming of the ego would be a great thing to yes. do. Absolutely. I think the biggest problem for me is Planet of the Spiders was meant to be the big celebration of the Pertwee era. It just comes across as self-indulgent and unnecessary <laughs> and really shows the egos at play. Barry Letts wanted to write and direct. He wanted to thank John Pertwee. So we get a 12 minute chase scene. We get the bad CSO. We get kind of slightly racist portrayals mm -hmm. of characters. We get Buddhism completely unnecessarily shoehorned in because it's something that Barry Letts is interested in. It just doesn't quite work as a celebration for me in a way that a celebration should be. If that's what this production team gives us, I am more than ready for the change. Yeah. On that rather depressing note, <laughs> I think that wraps up our discussion. We should have yes, ended the with the car. <laughs> Yes. We should have. <laughs> On that depressing note, hear us talk more about Pertwee. <laughs> On the depressing note, the Hoomobile. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, oh. I'm glad we've seen the last of that. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, boy. That wraps up yet another season. Julie and I will be back next time with a Big Finish bonus episode. We'll be doing Sympathy for the Devil from the Doctor Who Unbound range. The four of us will be back for our next regular episode in two weeks' time, when our amazing friend Alan Silo will once again join us to moderate our full Pertwee Era retrospective. But until then, thank you so very much for listening. And as usual, have a good one. Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Filipek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Self-Indulgent and Unnecessary, was recorded on Wednesday the 13th of July 2022. 
If this is your first time listening to the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, always be aware of when it's time for change.